number one. That which was from the beginning. He, he likes that word beginning when he writes, don't he? Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Does that not sound like the verses I read this morning? He's saying, I, I know Jesus. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, I know the chapter ends, but the thought continues in chapter 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When we come to the epistle of 1 John by way of introduction, we note three things. First of all, we note the author of this epistle. This is not John the Baptist. This is John the Beloved. There are several Johns in the Bible. John was a common name. We have multiple Eric's in here tonight. Two, and that's enough for any church to have. And uh, But uh, John was... Uh, sorry, guys. And I got one on my right hand and one on the left. Amen. I feel like Jesus between two thieves. But um, yeah, And the other guys count the offerings. <laughs> but uh, didn't mean it that way, fella. Sorry about that. But uh, John was a common name. And John the Baptist was not the author of the Gospel of John nor the epistles of John. This is John the, the, the disciple, John the apostle. He would write the Gospel of John. He would write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he would also be the human penman of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the author of this book. And then the atmosphere around this book. What was going on around the world and around the church during the time of John's writing? Several things, and I think we can make the application where we're living at today. First of all, there was great persecution going on against the church when John was writing. A man named Dominician was the Roman emperor who was both a savage and a coward. His crimes exceeded those of his previous predecessors, and he, he launched a second official Roman persecution of the church. He would have spies and informers that lurked everywhere, and there stood an executioner at every door. And when he would appear inside the Colosseum, that would be the signal for people to murder one another and to kill one another with swords and spears, and it heightened the bloodlust of the mob. And these attacks were directed against those people who claimed the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we are not dealing with that type of persecution in America right now, but all around the world, our brothers and sisters in the Lord are suffering great persecution and great attacks 
acts against of the cause of Christ. And then not only was there persecution when John was writing, but there was also false doctrine that was around when John was writing. It was a false doctrine known as Gnosticism. Now, if you're like me, you read that word Gnosticism in the commentary, you've done exactly what I did. You put the book down, you took your glasses off, you said, huh? Because it's just not something we know about. What is Gnosticism? Well, it was a prevalent false doctrine that was making its way into the church. Gnosticism taught that the material world, the world was created by an evil being. Well, we just preached this morning that God created the heaven and the earth. And they taught that this evil being had created the world, but Christ had came to earth to liberate people from this world through a spiritual experience called Gnosis. That word Gnosis was the Greek word for knowledge. It was all a head knowledge. You just think you're better. You just think you're good. You just you just have the right. You're picking up what I'm laying down. It is the power of positive thinking that God was evil, but Jesus came. It was a wicked doctrine, but it came in under the guise of Christianity. In fact, if you Google Gnosticism, on the internet, it will come up under a heading of Christianity. They even have things called the Gnostic Gospels and books that are written by that. Those are not inspired scriptures and they do not tell a correct interpretation of the Lord Jesus Christ nor the Gospel. Now, we don't have Gnosticism sneaking in our churches today, but we do have a lot of isms and schisms sneaking in the church. We do have false doctrines that's trying to infiltrate the churches. In the day and age that we're living in, it is it is the deliverance ministries and the and the uh, uh, the resurgence of Calvinism and and the charismatics things of that nature a lot of false doctrines even doctrines going around uh, attacking repentance attacking the the, the the authenticity the inerrancy of Scripture we got attacks on every side and so no we may not be dealing with the same things that John was dealing with when he wrote this epistle uh, but we are dealing with false doctrine can I get an amen out of that. Ain't it amazing? People would rather believe a lie uh, than accept the truth. Ain't, ain't that amazing how that works? One fellow said uh, that a lie will make it around the world three times, or make it across the world, however you fall on that, uh, by the truth is putting his shoes on. I mean, that is the truth. That is exactly the truth. People want to believe a lie over truth. In fact, the book of Thessalonians talks about uh, that they rejected the truth. They willingly, not when God sent them a strong delusion, the reason that God will send them a strong delusion during the tribulation period is because they knowingly rejected the truth. And ain't it amazing how people can come up in a church like ours. I'm not a perfect preacher, uh, but I am a Bible preacher. And they'll hear truth over and over again. Uh, but you let some Johnny come lately come along. You let somebody that's got a little flash, a little charisma, uh, a little uh, spark. And then they'll just go after that, follow after that, go after that false teaching, go after that false doctrine. That's the same set of circumstances that John was dealing with when he wrote his epistle. These Gnostics believed that Sophia was a divine female creator who was a counterpart to Jesus Christ. They teach that Christ was conceived having two aspects, half male and half female. 
It is a wicked... And we, we say, boy, that is terrible. But you think about some of the other doctrines that are going around. This whole deliverance doctrine that's, that's uh, had a resurgence here, it's always been around, but because of D.R. Harrison and Greg Locke, we have become more introduced with it because of their Internet presence. And if you don't know those names, you are a blessed individual. All right? Uh, but they'll teach that uh, that a man that, that drinks, he does not... He's not an alcoholic. He just has a, a, a devil of alcohol in him that needs to be cast out. Or somebody who is immoral commits adultery and fornication. Uh, they really don't have uh, the problem with the sin of immorality. They have a demon in them of immorality that needs to be cast out. You know what that does? It attacks personal responsibility for repentance. It takes away the responsibility of a man, and we're going to get to it in the text, but it takes away the responsibility of a man to admit before God, I am wrong. And you listen to your you, you listen to this preacher your little preacher tonight. I, I I can say little. I've lost weight, Miss Janice. Uh, but you listen to your little preacher tonight, and I'm gonna tell you something. That crowd that has false doctrine has perverted morals. Immorality always follows false doctrine. You mark my words; it will come out. It will come out because they go together. We're dealing with those things. The only reason I mention those things is because they're all over your social media feeds or all over your YouTubes, and people are getting pulled into that and getting drawn into that. And John is writing to a group of believers that, have, that are going to church with people that have accepted Gnosticism now, and they'll say, well, man, uh, because here's what he'll say. I may not get to my outline. I may just give you a good introduction. Now, here's how I know that. John will say this in 1 John 2 and verse number 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have not done out, no doubt to continue with us, but they went out, that they might be made manifest that were not all of us. So Paul, excuse me, John is dealing with this church. He said, you went to church with people that believed like you did, and then they got caught up in this false doctrine, and now you're questioning everything you ever believed because they believed it like you said you believe it. Who's right? I'm going to tell you who's right. This Bible's right. And so that's what, and then, and then John's dealing with all these things, and he's dealing with a, he's dealing with a second generation. This, this epistle is written about 57 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so they, 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 there was a lot of things that I could say, but let me get further. There is, there is the author of this book, and there is, there is the atmosphere of this book, but what is the aim of this book? Why did God allow John to write this epistle? Well, there are three reasons why. I'm going to give them to you quickly and then we're going to get in our text. First of all, in verse number 4, these things write we unto you, here's the first reason, I'm going to preach on it tonight, that your joy may be full. Why did he write the epistle of 1 John? To encourage God's people to have the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah 8.10, that last little phrase says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then in 1 John 2.1, these little children, I write unto you that ye sin not. So not only did he write the epistle to help them with their joy, but he wrote this epistle to help them with their sin. We'll say more about that in a moment. And then in 1 John 5, 13, these things have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That is the threefold purpose of the epistle of 1 John, to help you with your joy, to help you with 
with your sin and to help you with your assurance. And I'll say this, if you get your sin dealt with and you get your assurance nailed down, then your joy is going to be full. Amen. And so I want to preach out of this text for the next 20 minutes out of this phrase. Oh, I've been preaching 12 minutes, all right? Give me 18, 20 minutes and I'll get out of here. But I want to preach on the night out of that little phrase in verse 4, that your joy may be full. I'm going to tell you a harsh reality uh, coming out of the Christmas season, coming out of the holiday season, and coming into January. It's just all your joy is gone. You've got sick and tired of everybody. You've got tired. I mean, our Christmas decorations come down the day after Christmas, all right? Santa Claus wasn't even back up the chimney yet before we was taking our tree down, okay? I'm just telling you, and, and you get tired of all of it. Oh, you're broke as a convict spending all your money on all, all this stuff that didn't last 20 minutes, and, and, and it's easy to come into a new year and just be aggravated with things, and now we come into church, and, and we've been fighting sickness, the flu's going around, and stomach bugs going around, all this sickness, and it's easy just to come in and just kind of go through the motions, but I want to mind that that is not the will of God for us to relive our lives. He said in this text, these things have a written unto you that your joy may be full. Where's your gauge at tonight on your joy level? I mean, are you sitting at a quarter? Are you like my wife? You're right around saying, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, all right? Uh, where is your joy? That's what she does with her gas meter, all right? Uh, but she, she didn't get the joke, amen? Those are blonde roots, all right? Uh, but what I'm saying tonight is, where, where is the level on your joy meter? Is, is it halfway? Or are you like a lot of people, and like your preacher's been from time to time, your joy level is closer to the E than to the F? You're closer to empty than you are full. Hey, that's not God's will tonight. God wants us to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Let's look at three or four things in the text tonight. First of all, and I'll run through this first one quickly because I preached on it this morning, but there is a distinct privilege in verse 1 and 2. John talks about the privilege that he had to know Jesus. Hey, you want to help your joy level tonight? You want to get your joy from down here back up here? You just remind yourself that if you're saved, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the outline. There's the proclamation in verse Verse 1, he said, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard. John said, I'm going to tell you why I have this distinct privilege. I heard his voice one day. John's over there casting his net, fishing, and Jesus walks by and says, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he heard Jesus preach, and he heard the parables of Jesus, and he heard the teachings of Jesus. You know what John said? John said, My joy is full because I've heard his voice. I know what he sounds like. And no, We've not heard his audible voice tonight, uh, but we have heard it through the pages of Scripture and through the pages of the Holy Writ. There is a proclamation in verse 1. There's a perception in verse 1. He said, That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon. I ended the sermon this morning with John 1.14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said we were up on that mountain, and we saw that. Remember, I used the illustration with Dax this morning. He, he said He laid aside of that flesh, and He let Him see Him in His glorified body. You know why John's got joy? He said, I've heard too much, and I've seen 
looking too much. Amen. Hey, I'm going to tell you tonight of this crowd I'm looking at, we've done heard too much and we've seen too much uh, to be walking around with the mully grubs, to be walking around with our bottom lip getting carpet burned. I tell you, we've seen so much. God's been good. God's been faithful to us. Hey, we, amen. We have a distinct privilege uh, that God has given us a Bible and God has given us a church and God has put the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of us. Let's get the joy level back up. There's a there's the partaking in verse 1. And our hands have handled the word of life. He said, I made contact with him. And here's how close John got. The Bible said there was one of his disciples that leaned on his bosom. John 13, 23. John made up his mind. I'm going to get as close to Jesus as I possibly can. You want your joy level to go up in 2024? You take a step closer to Jesus. Amen. Don't be satisfied sitting on the other, other end of the table like them other disciples was. Oh, you know what John did? John scooched up as close as he could and leaned up the Lord Jesus. Why? He didn't want to live at a distance. He didn't want to live far away, but he wanted to draw near to Jesus. I don't understand people that want to live at arm's length from the church. I don't understand people that, I mean, they don't they won't come back on Sunday night if you held a gun to their head. Don't even talk about Wednesday night. I mean, God, my goodness, preacher, Jesus went to Calvary. Let's not take it that far. Don't want to take this Christian thing overboard. Hey, I'm telling you tonight, our desire in 2024 ought to, how many of y'all know this word, scooch? Scooch up, scrunch up, get as close as you can to Jesus. That's what John was doing. There was there, there that, 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 that uh, uh, partaking. And then there's the proof in verse 2. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. The word, the word manifested means to display. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John said, I know he's the life. I have seen it. I have laid my eyes on it. I was standing there when he touched that little boy who was already in the casket and he started talking in the coffin. I was there in Bethany when they rolled the stone away and he cried, Lazarus, come forth. I was privileged to be in that room with Jairus' daughter when he sent all the unbelievers out and he raised that little girl from the dead and I was there. I walked in that empty tomb on resurrection morning and saw that the grave clothes had been folded and the napkin was laying in his place. John said, I know that he is alive. Hey, you want to help your joy meter in 2024, uh, you get back to the fact uh, that we serve a risen Savior and He's in the world today. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something we've made up, but this is true. And then there's the purpose in verse number 2. And bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. John said, I've seen Him. Now I want to share Him with others. That's the purpose of this epistle. By the way, if you've met Jesus, your desire ought to be you, you want to share him with others. Can I get an amen out of that? There's a distinct privilege. Number two, verses three and four, there is a declared partnership. Now, now he goes on in verse three with, he, he's talking about fellowship is the theme of these verses. There's the definition of fellowship in verse three. Look at it with me, please. That which we have seen and heard and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. Now what does fellowship mean? It means two fellows in a ship. Did y'all get a hold of that? It means being together. But it goes further than just being together. So you can tie two tomcats' tails together. 
And they're, they're together, but they don't have fellowship. Are y'all listening to me? But that word fellowship means to have something in common. Now, I, uh, can I just preach? That 30 minutes is about to kill me. Let me just preach, get this out of my... Yeah, we started early. Let me just preach. You know, uh, growing up, we traveled uh, as missionaries. And so I didn't grow up. I want y'all to feel sorry for when I say this. I want y'all to say, oh, okay. I want you to feel better for me. When I grew up, I didn't have any friends growing up. I know. That's just so sad. I appreciate your sympathy. That is so kind of you to say that. We traveled so much. I mean, I had a few little friends. So I really didn't get any friends my age until I hit my 20s. Late. And, and I, thank you. That's enough. And my wife, she makes fun of me. Because now Jeremy, we call, we call Jeremy Papa Jeremy. He's 10 years older than me, but mentally he's not aged that far yet. And um, so you got me. There's three or four of us. We'll get together. And my wife says, y'all act like a bunch of goofy teenage girls. You know why? Because we all grew up in the same dispensation, watching the same stuff. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Patty and, and Abraham Lincoln. You know, they're coming together. They have things in common with their age. And you, you, know why, you know why we have fellowship? It's because we grew up in the same time. And we, around, we have things in common. And here's what John's saying. John's saying Christian fellowship is that we, we have things in common. Now, I'll be honest with you tonight. A lot of us in the base, we don't have a lot of things in common. Brother, Brother Travis is an Ohio State fan, and I'm born again. We don't have that in common. Uh, Richie, he ain't here, so I'll pick on him. Richie is a fan of whoever, whoever is winning. But he, but he likes the Vikings, who are out of the playoffs just like the Falcons are. Uh, we don't have that in common. And only on week we could go. I mean, Charles is a Democrat. We don't have that in common, okay? But I tell you what, he's not, okay? But here's my point. There are things that all of us, we have different backgrounds. Miss Linda, you're from New York. Do we need to say anything else, amen? I'm just picking up. There's nothing we'll have in common. So how in the world can an Ohio State fan, a Duke fan, somebody from New York and a Democrat all come in the church together and not have a fight break out? Because we have some things in common. We got that book in common. We all have the same one living on the inside of us. Here's what John said. John said in church, I know we're living in a day of false doctrine and apostasy. Oh, but he's alive. And we have that in common. There's the definition of fellowship, but then there's the details of our fellowship. Look on in verse number 3. And he says, he says, And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that first half of verse 3, y'all with me? That first half of verse 3 is talking about mine and your fellowship having things in common. We really don't have much in common. I like football and you like to see men in their underwear wrestle. We don't have that in common. What's that? Trunks. Whatever makes you sleep at night, buddy. <laughs> we don't have that in common. But that's not the fellowship is talking about now. The second half. Here's that second half fellowship. It ain't fellowship this way. It's this way. Now, let's all agree we really didn't have anything in common with God. He's holy and we ain't. He's right and we're not. He's pure and we're unpure. We didn't have anything. But here's what John said. We got fellowship with Him now. We have, oh my, we have things in common with Him now. How? We have the same Father. 
we have the same Spirit. Why? Because God sent His Son to die. And now because of Calvary, not only do you and I have fellowship, but now me and God, we have fellowship one another. And that leads to the delight of our fellowship. In verse 4, these things write unto you that your joy may be full. You want to help your joy meter this year? You remember the fact you were an alien in commonwealth of Israel? Oh, we were on the outside looking in. Oh, but Jesus made a way for us. He suffered and bled and died and rose again. And now we're no longer on the outside looking in. But honey, we're on the inside looking up. We are a part of the family of God. That ought to help the joy meter. Amen. Amen. That's right. And so, though, so there is a distinct privilege. There is a declared partnership. But then look at verse 5 and 6. There is a deceived prerogative. i got four points. I'm on number three if you're counting, all right? A deceived prerogative. Now, I'm talking about getting our joy up, right? We all need joy. We all agree. How many of you need your joy to go up a little bit? Hold your hand up. If your neighbor ain't got his hand up, hit him with a songbook. They need to get their joy up. Amen. Don't hit Leah. All right? Saw William reaching for a songbook, okay? So you want to, you want to get your joy up? You better make sure you don't have this attitude in verse 5. Look, look, look at this. There's a factual statement in verse 5. This is the message we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and him no, is no darkness at all. That word darkness refers to sin. So we would agree tonight. If you'll say amen, I'll, I'll jump past this point quick and move on. We all agree tonight God ain't got no sin in him. No darkness in him at all. That's a factual statement. Verse 6 is a false statement. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He said, now you just said that you agree that in God there is no darkness. But if you say that you're walking in truth, if you say that you have fellowship with God this way, but you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You say this is the individual... That is expressing hypocrisy. They say, but they walk in darkness. They're saying one thing, but their talk doesn't match their walk. That's a false statement. There's a factual statement in verse 5. There's a false statement in verse 6. But then there's a foolish statement in verse 8 and verse 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So verse 6 is a man trying to impress you. He said, I have fellowship with him, but he's walking in darkness. Verse 8 and verse 10, he's trying to convince himself. Did you notice the phrase? If we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sin, talking to ourselves, I'm really not as bad as what that preacher said I was. He said, you've lied, you've deceived yourself. He said, that word is not in him. Ain't that, didn't the psalmist admonish us? Thy, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? He said, I'm telling you right now, if you don't think you've sinned, you've not been spending time in that book. Because that book's a mirror, and it's going to show you what you really, really look like. Hey, you want to get your joy back? Get honest about your sin. Amen. There is a, and, and that leads to my fourth point. There is a distinct privilege, a declared partnership, a deceit prerogative. But there is a delightful promise. Here's the first one. I, I'm going to run through these quick and, and we're going to go. A delightful promise concerning our course. Look at verse 7. But, 
Now, he just said if we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light. What's walking in the light? To walk in the light means that our lives will be transparent and above reproach. We're not trying to hide anything. We are walking obedience. We are walking in truth. Can I get an amen out of here? We're trying to obey what this book says. That's walking in light. Thy word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He said, if you're walking in light, he's in light. There's a problem. There's the course. But then notice the companionship. We have fellowship one with another. Now, as I was reading this week, preparing this message, there's a lot of argument on who that fellowship is with. One man, uh, Brother Eric I read behind, said that, that's talking about me and William's fellowship. If I'm walking in the light, as Jesus in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I agree with that. Because you know what sin will do? Sin will bring division in a church. And it will separate people. You'll see people going a different direction. You'll have a crowd that's trying to live for God and walk with God and somebody else getting sin. You know what it does? It causes a division. And they always want to blame it on the people that are walking in light. They never want to accept responsibility. They're the ones that's not reading the Bible. They're not praying. They're not spirit-filled. It's always their fault. I'm here, so let me just preach, all right? I have a real problem believing somebody has spiritual discernment to leave a church that goes out drinking. Can I have, can I have a little somebody? I have a real problem with that. You know what that tells me? That tells me God didn't lead them to leave. Nod your little pointed head up and down. Amen. I'm telling you tonight, I have a hard time believing somebody is walking in the light when they're hanging out in the dark. Amen. Talk about the course. So, and, and so, well, I still love, I love them too, but I can't have fellowship with them. You realize according to 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, deals with church discipline, when people are in open sin, they claim the name of Christ, I'm not even have a meal with them. It, it's in there. Y'all really want me to go read it? Or y'all believe you're preaching? It, uh, you're not even supposed to break bread with them. I, amen? You know why? Because sin separates. But if you walk in the light, as He is in the light, then we can have fellowship one with another. Why? Because we're walking in common ground. Well, we're to restore the ones that's fallen. You can't restore somebody that's 25 miles away from you that won't come back in for repentance. But then I also believe that other writer I read said that fellowship one with another is talking about fellowship with the Lord. I agree with that too. I think, I think it's talking about both. Because you're not going to be right with God if you got sin. You're not going to enjoy that fellowship. Yeah, you're still a son of God. Yes, you're still born again. That relationship is settled. Hey, listen to me. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying, okay? You can have a relationship and not have fellowship. You can have a relationship. And I'm not trying to bring up anybody, but some of you have parents that wasn't good parents to you. And by relation, they're your parents, but you have no fellowship with them. Or you have other, whatever, it don't have to be a parent, but you understand what I'm trying to say. You have people that are kin to you that you're related to, but you have no fellowship with because of choices they have made or choices you have made. But you're still kin to them. So here's the principle the Lord's saying here. You're not losing your salvation. That relationship is settled. If you're born again, you're saved for eternity. Amen? But that fellowship can be hindered. But if we walk in the light, if we walk in truth, if we walk in obedience, as He is in light, we can have fellowship with one another. There's only a course, there's only companionship, there's cleansing. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us 
from all sin. Now, give me five minutes. When, when I got saved, I got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was not redeemed with corruptible things, silver and gold, but I was redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Amen? That took care of my past, present, and future sins. Amen? Because all my sins were future sins at Calvary. But every day I live and I sin, I need to get forgiveness. And the blood, it's not that every day I'm getting washed in the blood, but the blood that Christ shed. By the way, that blood's only been put on the mercy seat one time. It ain't, it ain't reapplied every, somebody, every time somebody gets saved. It's been applied one time. And by faith, you have to accept that. It's the same way with our sanctification when we got sin in our heart. Lord, I have sinned. I have failed you. I'm getting to it. And Lord, on the basis of your blood, I ask you to cleanse me. Cleanse me with your word, because the Bible says, Sanctify them thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them with your blood, Lord. I want my heart to be pure and clean. We're not talking about taking a blood bath, but we're talking about, Lord, may that blood that's on the mercy seat in heaven, it's already, for, for, it's already covered my sin, washed them away, but I want to accept the forgiveness by faith. That make sense? That leads to confession in verse 9. If we confess our sin, his sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Quickly tonight, quickly. The kids are doing good. I'm, I'm hurrying. Y'all know I don't do this often, but I, I, got, I got to get this out, okay? How do you confess your sin? Three ways, quickly. You admit to God the fact of your sin. Don't avoid it. Don't try to gloss over it and say, Rich, don't No, you admit that the fact that you have sinned. Then you agree with God about the filth of your sin. You've got to see your sin is exceedingly sinful. God, what I did is wicked. And then you accept the forgiveness of God for your sin. Well, you've got to forgive yourself, you know. You've been watching Dr. Phil and Oprah too much. If you could forgive yourself, pray tell, why do you need Jesus Christ? You have to accept His forgiveness by faith. And then... Concerning our confidence, chapter 2, verse 1. i got two verses. I'm done, okay? My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's our confidence. Now watch this. John's writing. I'm hurrying. I'm running quick. John's writing. Hang on, Jude. I'm almost done. John's writing, and he says this. He said, I'm writing unto you that you sin not. I don't want you to sin. But he knew he was writing to people that had a sin nature and a flesh. He said, and if any man sin, we, not the lost, the believers, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What does that word advocate mean? It means a lawyer. It means someone, a paraclete, one who comes alongside and pleads our case. I have no right to plead my case. Revelation 12 teaches us there's an accuser of the brethren, and his name is the devil. And he's standing before God, accusing me of my faults, my failures, my foolishness, and he's telling the truth. And I have no right to stand before God, but I'm glad tonight that I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He hears all the accusations. He hears all my faults and failures. But then my advocate begins to speak on my behalf. And I like how he always starts. He starts by saying, Father, hey, you know you're doing good if you're in court and your lawyer is the son of the judge. 
And he says, Father, everything this prosecutor said is true. It's true that my client's a sinner. He is wicked. He, do, he does wrong. He's unthankful, unholy. He has faults and failures. He goes out of the flesh. He says things he shouldn't say. He does things that he should not do. He doesn't always read the Bible. He doesn't always pray. He's always spirit-filled. He's not perfect. He has faults. But Father, if you will look at the evidence that has been presented, you will see that his debt has been paid. You know what the evidence is? It's the wounds in his hands and his feet. It's the blood on the mercy seat. That is the blessing of an advocate tonight. Aren't you glad you have somebody that goes to God on your behalf? God, get that joy meter up. And then there's our comfort in verse 2. I'm done. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What does that word propitiation mean? I'm done. I told you I'm finished. What does that word propitiation mean? It means that it, God is satisfied. It means you don't have to do anything to earn God's salvation. You don't have to do anything to earn God's forgiveness. He's satisfied with what His Son, Jesus Christ, did. Did you come in tonight with your joy level a little bit low? Well, take these truths that I've just glazed over tonight. The fact that you have fellowship with God. The fact that if you'll confess your sin, He's faithful. Oh, I love that. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sin. Because my own right, you have an advocate. May God help us this year to get that joy meter up. It's so easy to come to church and go through the motions and go through the motions. I preach about it Sunday night. Go through the motions. Go through the motions. And never have no joy, no excitement, no, no vitality. You remember when you can't come on, Brother Matthew, and make, make them feel better if they see you up here. Had that joy, that vitality, that excitement of being in church and being around. But to be honest, it's kind of got a little closer to E. You know, you ought to come to the altar tonight. You ought to go to the altar and say what them old times you said to the gas attendants. Fill her up. Fill her up. And you ain't got to check the oil because he's still in there, the Holy Spirit. Amen. But Lord, I need my joy back. Anybody need their joy filled up tonight? May God help us. As we stand tonight, I appreciate your attention. I preached 37 minutes. You've been so kind. God spoke to your heart tonight about your joy, getting your joy full. These are, come ask God to fill her up. I need to get my joy. I, 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 I need to get my joy, my excitement. I, I need my joy filled. I, I need that. I, I don't know about you. 